America keeps killing black men, and we're going to talk about it tonight on the Eight Black Hands. Get ready. Buckle up. This is going to be a hell of a show. Yo, that's it. Well, welcome, friends and family. It's another episode of the Eight Black Hands. Tonight, we're supposed to be talking about standardized testing, but America can't stop killing black men. So guess what we're going to talk about tonight? We're going to make the executive decision to switch gears a little bit as a black male, a black father-driven show. I, I don't know that we could uh, get by without having something to say about what is uh, taking place in the United States of America still. Uh, we're talking specifically about Mr. Nichols in Memphis, black man who was uh, um, uh, murdered by the police department in Memphis. There's a horrendous video that is going around and lots of people are watching it. I refuse to uh, necessarily participate in that for my own sanity and my own health, but it's nothing new right before we started this show tonight. Uh, Ray was asking me, how is this affecting me necessarily? And I had to be honest with him and say that it's not a big impact on me in the way that the, the 80 in my lifetime have been before. I actually was cl cleaning out some old writing that I did and found writing I did uh, about Trayvon Martin uh, a decade ago, more than a decade ago. And then I found things that I wrote before Trayvon, uh, some pretty horrendous cases here in Minnesota necessarily. I was telling Ray and, and the other brothers here, uh, you all know George Floyd uh, in Minnesota, but you don't know the 10 people before George Floyd. You don't know the 10 black men that were uh, uh, um, uh, killed under very weird and mysterious circumstances. You don't know the name Tysell Nelson, who actually was a 17-year-old who was shot in the back, black 17-year-old shot in the back, and the cop said that he, he shot him because he feared for his life and he was holding a gun pointing towards him. When all the witnesses and everybody said he was running away from him, uh, you don't know about the fact that they gave that man a medal for honor and bravery. They gave that cop a uh, the killer gave him a medal uh, and, and it was the, the police union that did that, gave him a medal. So here we are all these years later. And now we're talking about an episode in Memphis. Fellas. I want to bring you in on this and uh, not have a trauma inducing situation, but to say to you, number one, how do you process these situations when they come up? What's your, what's your method for processing these? And then as educators, what do you think is the education frame, knowing that our young people take in more of this than they've ever taken in before because they've got more media than they've ever had before, uh, and you're going to be teaching young people. So let's kick it off. Let's start there and see, see what say you all uh, about this incident. All right. So <clears throat> I'll kick it off. Ish. Man, you know how we're doing it. We're on the educated tip, baby. And so I'm, uh, I'll kick it off with the objective, right? So if I'm teaching tomorrow, because I know a lot of folks that are in the audience are going to be teaching kids tomorrow. So if I got a high school class tomorrow, uh, my lesson objective is going to be students will be able to dissect law enforcement through a racialized lens and determine how white is a role in bad actors in the police department. That's my objective for tomorrow. And uh, as we go through tonight, we can talk more about, you know, the ways in which we're going to intertwine and dissect and then come up with uh, some kind of way to assess. Yeah, man, I, I just first got to say that every time these incidents happen, it's the straw that broke the camel's back, right? 
So when we're talking about police brutality in Memphis uh, specifically, that has been happening for a minute now. And there's many incidents like this that I know of because my wife is from Memphis. Um, and some of the stories that I heard that come out of there, especially with their Scorpion program, which these officers were affiliated with, has been a long time coming. Uh, one of the brothers that she went to high school with was actually exposed the uh, the Scorpion program spying on him, even with federal officials, which you can even look at. It was a big deal in 2015. So right here, what we're seeing right now is just an extension of that. In actuality, I would even say when we even hear of these things on this national level and it becomes a big thing, there was like four or five incidents right beforehand that just caused this incident to become so egregious and so uh, uh, large that folks thought they can just operate whatever way they wanted to. Um, and that's what we see with his brother um, that happened to Tyree. Yeah, man. I mean, it's uh, just like this ongoing rage, man. Like it's, you know, it's over and over. It's like Black Groundhog Day, you know, with cops. Um, you're, go you're going to see it. And these are the ones, you know, just imagine if, if you think of the number that happens, we don't even catch all of them. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, you know, just the, the amount. And I also think about like just a continuum of police brutality when I think so you have murder on on one end and then you got the psychological warfare on the other side which and that that's a thread that goes all the way through right but it, you think about when you are you know when you have a badge and you feel like you know what I can talk to you anyway I can assault you you know I can you know I can trump up charges I can plant stuff on you I can like there's a whole experience that we have with police you know, and then murder is like kind of the final piece. But there are all those other things happen. Torture, abuse, verbal, psychological, all of that stuff is happening. Right. So it's not just like, oh, boof, you know, someone was was, uh, you know, assaulted. It's like, you know, this is an ongoing thing. Generationally, the 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 uh, psychological warfare from you seeing it or experiencing it, you know, seeing it up close, seeing it on TV experiencing it all of that man and I, I was in memphis uh you know last week you know uh and just to you know talk to uh you know talk to folks and and visiting you know mama sarah and other you know community members and and just hearing you know just the the frustration the anger um it's it's an ongoing thing across this country And oh, as far as like, if I, you know, if I was teaching a class, you know, I was thinking about this, um, you know, last week when I was in Memphis at, at Shoemaker, we would have probably started off with circles and did more like listening and, and trying to, you know, have circles to, to hear what students are, how they're processing it, you know, um, giving them the time and space to acknowledge that something happened and we're not just jumping, you know, right back in like, oh, ignore all of that. We're moving forward. Like we actually would would discuss it and, and really try to hear how are they thinking about it? How are they, how is it uh, impacting them? How's it impacting their loved ones? Um, and what did, you know, and then from there start thinking about, okay, what is your response and reaction to this? Do you guys uh, feel like that we get dangerously close to uh, brutalization fatigue, you know, um, but like, it's, it's kind of like over time in my lifetime, movies have had to get more violent, uh, to have the same effect. 
right? So you had a little ketchup and a little PP shooters, you know, in the 70s and shows. And in the 80s, they had to start blowing heads off. And, you know, 90s, you had natural born killers. It's just a natural pro- progression. Uh, people get numb. They get, you know, desensitized to these things. And like I just said to you, uh, I don't want, really want to watch the video of this because I don't want to like one up what, you know, Freddie Gray. How long ago was Freddie Gray? I mean, and, and I think you're on uh, mute-ish. Uh, that wasn't that long ago. And that was a, a horrendous, horrendously brutal situation. Like if anything's ever going to shock us into doing something or shock us into changing, we've had enough of the episodes. Uh, and this is why I take the angle of what do we, what do we teach our young people? Because it's going to happen again. Right. Sure this, is not, this, is, this is not new. Right. So like we, yeah. we have to we have to start thinking about this from a historical context. Right. So like, you know, when you when you uh, when you were on the plantation, you had they would put black people in charge. They would be overseers. Right. And so you would have black black uh, folks that were whipping slaves worse than white people. Mm-hmm. doing it, Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. and so it's like when when you get black folks in positions of power instead of so you, you have one. When you're in a position if, as a black person, if you're in a position of power, you have one or two things that you could do. You can look to change the system or you can look to be a part of the system. And many folks that get into power become a part of the system. Right. And so the system is a white supremacist led system. And so if you get in to become a part of the system, then you do the shit that they would do without them having to do it. So, like, you're out here, you're doing their work without them even having to get their hands dirty. Mm hmm. You know, what I think is so interesting about this situation right now. Number one, we've been talking for weeks about Ron DeSantis in Florida and the uh, the, the legislation against, you know, um, teaching kids that, you know, uh, America is a racist country and all that. Right. And the laws literally in those in these states say that you are not supposed to teach young people that the country is inherently racist or that the systems themselves are inherently racist. Their anti-CRT laws are basically trying to get rid of a scholarship model that helps you investigate where the systems are racist and where there are uh, discriminatory factors in them. And one thing I always hear conservatives saying, and Ray, I got to put this on you, bro, because you closer okay, to put this on I am you, now. <laughs> you closer <laughs> to the, I'm not only in them no more that you got the lease on them brother um but they they like to say you know can you believe that they're teaching that one race are oppressors and another race are the oppressed right oh yeah i can believe and, it because i've i've been oppressed one you know and they're saying you know they're teaching white kids that they're oppressors they're teaching black kids that they're victims so this young man is very very clearly a victim and he's not the first and he won't be the last and you know what? You only know about him because he died. You don't know about the ones that they beat and put into the hospitals or the ones where they break bones or the ones where they jack them up constantly or the 13-year-old kid that the cop picked him up because he didn't like his attitude and way he responded, picked him up off of a, a bus stop and threw him down the street type of thing. You don't hear about all of those, right? So our kids don't need to be told that they're a victim. They got SORs in their schools that talk to them any kind of way half the time and jam them up. They, you know, they, they have to encounter, they have to encounter police on, on the, on the buses that they're on and in different, different places. So, um, so this outlawing of what we can teach our kids and tell our kids or whatnot becomes ultimately way more serious when you think about if you're trying to actually prepare your young people, but, but, but I was going somewhere with this. 
I have seen the most ridiculous, stupid black opinion in the last couple of days I've ever seen in my life. I don't do it. <laughs> I have seen the well, dumbest, what? some of the dumbest Negroes. Like, first of all, let's let's establish a rule. Black people right now, psh, white people, if you're white and you're watching this show, please leave for a second here. Just step out the room for a second. Just for, yeah, just for a second. Yeah, we got it. We got to, you know, cone of silence, you know, put on your muffs, you know, and we got we got to we got to say this to black people real quick. So black people, you ain't got to say something about everything. You, you, know, you, 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 don't, you don't there's just some stuff you don't have to talk about there's some stuff you don't have to say and everything that goes through your mind not everything is for everybody and being intellectual ain't for everybody right so just because you got a twitter account don't mean you got to use it you know just stay on your boss up side of the fence and you know trade your stuff about world star hip-hop and whatnot. I, I, leave I, some things listen, alone listen, that's not that's not just for the pedestrian twitter people that's also for the academic twitter people as well right because like you got some folks that will weigh in on anything and i and i'm I about to, to say i'm about to say one of them that you know someone you know <laughs> but let me say the two things and then i'm just gonna stop i'm gonna leave it alone jason right. whitlock jason whitlock gets out there and says what does he say? He says like some of the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So Jason Whitlock gets out there and says, and they're calling him Uncle Ruckus, that basically what you see in the behavior right, of these cops, so. yeah, these cops who are, are black, he says that basically what you see in them is what happens uh, when black men turn to gangs because of single black women. The, the woman, the, the, the police chief is a woman, and this is the type of behavior, unfortunately, that's embedded in black culture, blah, blah. He makes this about the police chief being a black woman and these, these young men being like gang members and thugs and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so this is not a problem with police. This is a problem with black people, black culture, and whatnot, in his mind. This is a brother. Gets on Tucker Carlson and says this. I shouldn't say this is a brother. You this, don't. Is, this is an overly tan uh, David Duke. He's in black. Right, right, right. So, so this is one, but here's the flip side of this dumb shit that people like to say and talk about. There's also a part of Twitter that's pulling up bell hooks and making these kind of anti-black male I'm leaving type this of alone. arguments. <laughs> I disavow. You could disavow you want, bro. It's like the dumbest. It's almost like we deserve what we're getting out of this, uh, uh, which is the other strain. What of was really the quote? Stupid I mean, what was the yeah? What, what are they saying? What are, how are they tying us with the bell hooks? <laughs> bruh i am i am Woo! trying to Bro. understand why this becomes i the left moment it alone man because they, you listen, because I, I i really didn't understand how black feminist uh theory scholarship even related to this but like they will find some kind of way to kind of interweave uh anything to make it controversial or to make it divisive right and so like i listen this is not the this is not the time for me to 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 want to uh dislike black women. I love black women. And this is not the time where I want them to dislike me. I want them to love me too, right? And so like I'm not getting on Twitter and going back and forth about bell hooks and black feminist theory. I'm just not doing it. I don't know I'll, I'll, I'll read about the, it. I'll read the quote and I'm not going to name the brother, but the brother's an academic with the big following and he chooses in the middle of all this to post Many black men with hostility towards white male power structures are often eager to gain access to that power. Their expressions of rage are less a critique of the white patriarchal social order and more a re reaction to not being allowed full participation in the power game. And it goes on, it you know, he, he has a whole thread here. It's basically about how black males are problematic uh, because we wanna be white males and we wanna get that same patriarchal power, whatnot. 
this isn't a good time. You got a dead man beaten to death by other dead men. This isn't a good time for a black feminist. Go ahead, bro. Get you, I get you time and place, right? There's definitely a time and place for this. But I, that argument, like, I feel like you can make that argument because there's some, Jason Whitlock fits into that category. Candace Owens fits in that can that category. Yes. And she she couldn't be more of a Sally Hemings trying to have babies with white supremacy, right? So so I don't know, like like we could get lost in this, but as black men or whatnot, you have a dead black man who is not going to be the last, and this sure as hell isn't the first. It's not like black women don't have this uh, situation with police officers too, and the brutality there. But if you're just being, oh. if you're being honest about the numbers. And about the targeting of black boys and men for years and years and years. Uh, there is a reason why we have way more uh, black women, college educated people now, why, why we have more black women in education than black males, why black males are missing in lots of places in lots of populations where they used to be. There has been a targeted effort to remove them from uh, from the race for years and years and years and years. And when I heard I, one I of you all say that. Well, you said this isn't new. Somebody tell me the history of the police in the United States. Y'all are educated black men. Tell tell me what's the history of the police of the United States. Well, from patty rollers to patrollers, you know, (laughs) patty rollers. They were they were being sick on black folks. Mm -hmm. And later Mm -hmm. on, that that just kind of continued, you know, great migration folks in the city. Hey, control that side, keep them over there, keep them away from us, keep them, you know, in check and bash their heads in the, in the meantime, you know, um, we look and, and it was rewarded. Mm-hmm. It was rewarded. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got mm-hmm. folks like Rizzo who, because of his brutality against black people, particularly black men, he was rewarded with the mayorship. So he went from pol- police uh, commissioner to the mayorship right like that's how you get rewarded right and and it was on the brutality against um against black folks yeah and and just to veggie back off of that man it's, it's that's a very consistent factor and i already see people uh bringing up slave catchers right we talking about the first police forces within this country that had badges that looked like modern day uh sheriff badges uh folks were rewarded to catch folks and bring them back to the plantation i mean that's that's really was like a job and when we have uh, after towards the Great Migration, what you're referring to is no coincidence that Huey P. Newton and the Black Panther Party in Oakland came about after that's the generation after the Great Migration. Like his father migrated to Oakland for jobs during World War II time period. And then you see an influx of police forces that were straight up recruited from the southern areas, right? Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, and them places. And these folks were purposely recruited to handle the black population increases in northern and western cities. So you see this in Gary, Indiana, you see this in Detroit, you just see this huge influx of police forces in these areas to control these new population elements they didn't know what to do with. And, you know, it's still consistent to this day, where even Mike Brown, if we remember Ferguson, Ferguson is a suburb of St. Louis. And mm, black mm-hmm. folks moving to them suburbs, right? You start to see a shift in population, yet not a shift in leadership. And that leadership still clamps down and enforces kind of like an anti-black agenda on the population there. And it's it's been a consistent pattern throughout American history how 
authorities are used to kind of clamp down when there's a large black population in a certain area. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this and it's going to be hugely unpopular and I can mm. live with it. I'm good with it. Mm. So if, if, if you it have, better be now, now it better be. You, you set you it have, up like that. <laughs> bro, if you have a scorpion unit in Memphis, if you have a scorpion unit in Memphis, that means that people knew about that unit. Right. And so then that goes all the way to the top. You, I, granted, you you fired the police that were involved in it, but shit, we may we, we we need to have some conversations about who knew about this unit and, and and how free they were able to reign in terms of the havoc that they were able to cause. Because if if you're talking about it all the way since 2015, mm-hmm. then that that makes me know that there's a there's there's a lot of higher ups in in, in Memphis Police Department that knew about this unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why is we, that unpopular? Huh? Why would yeah, that be unpopular? He's a Republican. He's talking to Republicans. Oh, it's unpopular oh, with them because, because the, the, the 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 chief is 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 female, and then you, a black yes. female. So and then you say, but but bro, I'm here's what I'm saying to you. You say that, and then all of a sudden you got folks coming at your neck because you because it's like you're not protecting black women. Here it is, right here. Listen, <laughs> listen come, man. At, come at it. It's, it's right mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't this prove to us finally that this idea that you put a black face in the white supremacist system, you're going to Hello. get a white supremacist black face person? Well, I mean, like, about Rep- this, man. Representation. About this. But this representation stuff, man, got people fooled and tricked, making thinking just because they got some black people in leadership that they actually about the cause, man. And we all know skin, all skin folk ain't kin folk. And that's just like a common thing, a common knowledge thing. But I think that's been so confused now that folks are like, well, we need more diversity in this force. We need more diversity. If we just add some more black people, then things would be different. No. I mean, that argument is just as silly as saying, oh, well, as the demographics in America change, people will be more open to things. No, it won't. Half of them folks will probably categorize themselves as white and then adopt anti-black values because truth is in this society, in our society in america if you can't admit that black people are never meant to be free you hold anti-black views regardless of your mm-hmm. racial or ethnic identity and i keep on home in on that because that is the fact it doesn't matter that these cops were black you put a bunch of people into these situations and they adopt the, the same attitudes that create the situation to begin with you're going to have situations like this Bro, the blue the blue mm. is the color yeah. <laughs> the blue is the color no matter what uh you know cultural background they're going to gravitate to the blue and you see that from you know and uh, you know we were i think this was on twitter earlier you know it's constantly like you know the rotten apple the rotten apple you know i get sick of this singular story about the rotten apple like you better put a bunch of s's at the end of that joint because mm-hmm. and also remember the rest of the the phrase the, the rotten apple spoils the bunch. It ain't just like mm-hmm. the singular rotten. Oh, that's just one bad person. Oh, that's just that small group. Oh, it's just it's always just like a band of just. It's, it's almost like the uh, the the lone gunman, right? Like in the, in all the conspiracy things, it's always that one. It's never that one. It's the system, and they're gonna come in. They're gonna plug in, and they're gonna protect the system against everybody else, no matter what's going on. All over right. and over and over again. Well, I want to turn this on its head for you anti-Americans here on this show. Y'all are just <laughs> killing me with your anti-American <laughs> nonsense. But let me uh, let me just turn this on its head a little bit because what we were going to talk about tonight was standardized testing, right? 
And I prepared for us to just do what we normally do is just be like, you know, so this, this uh, just talk stuff about testing, but this is how these two things relate to me. Cause this is actually what gives me my testing uh, way, my way of thinking about testing. We think about student testing, standardized testing, right? There's this whole kind of data scheme in civil rights, uh, in the heritage of civil rights. We didn't just want law changes. We wanted to count things. And we wanted to monitor things and we wanted to track things because it's one thing to pass a law. It's another to know what's going on. So when I ask you how many of these incidents have happened and where they were the worst and which cops were doing the, the most, I want an answer to that. Right. And I want the data to be held. Now, every time you try and get that data or you talk to police forces about changing their data schemes, there's always resistance. Cops didn't want cops didn't want to wear body cams at one point. Right. Cops didn't want to have to like turn in reports after every stop at one point because they didn't want those those that data audited. They didn't want the public to be able to go in and say you wouldn't know anything about stop and frisk in New York if you didn't have data. If there weren't things put in place that made cops notate certain things, uh, the race of the person they were stopping, the reason why they were stopping them. I just saw a report that came out that showed the precursor that cops use differently for different racial populations to uh, during stops. And the smell of weed was one of them that shows up in most of the false reports, most of the false reports when it comes. And guess what color of person actually is the most that's used on the most, right? We only know things like that because we have data that we make systems track and we make systems report out. And everything y'all just said about the police, I cannot have y'all sit here and act like the schools don't have a lot of the same situation that we're talking about right now. Now, I heard you say just getting black representation in police when the system itself is a bad problem, whatnot. We're talking about getting more black males in education and more black people in classrooms and more black teachers in classrooms, right? And it's not as if that system's any less racist. It's not like that system is any less white supremacist than any other system. It's not like the courts are racist and the police are racist, but the education system is somehow this clean system in the middle where it's all okay. So when it comes down to things like, and this was one of the things I was going to say about, you know, when we were talking about standardized testing tonight, every lawsuit and, and Sharif and Ray, I know you've heard me say this Ish, I don't know if you've heard me say this, but. Every civil rights lawsuit against school districts and states for inadequacy of education, one of the first things that they do is pull the test scores to prove the, the inadequacy, inadequacies of the system, the inefficiencies of the system, the differential outcomes between suburbs and cities. Uh, and that is what won you cases like New Jersey uh, putting a lot more money on the formula, for instance, or whatnot. It's that for data. Newark, Camden, for Newark and Camden, yep. Newark, Camden places, you know what I'm saying? So, so a lot of my educator folks want to erase the data. You know, tests are racist. I don't know. I don't, I don't know racist. if that's a lot of people, bro. No, it's a ton of people. I have not met. As as a matter of fact, <laughs> bro, in, in preparation for this show, in preparation for this show, I went to look up all of the testing literature that I can find. The number of biased uh, higher ed professors that have no nuance in their talking about assessments. It's all bad. They don't want to be on the hook for anything. 
-hmm. It's all high stakes. It's all terrible. It's all racist. It's blah, blah, blah. As if you dropped that data scheme tomorrow and suddenly the system would be equitable. Bro, with, so with imagine, nothing imagine, to track, right? Imagine you couldn't track in, anything. Imagine so. coming into the system that way, right? When I came into teaching in 2003, uh, I taught American government in Baltimore City Public Schools, right? American government had a standardized test that was associated with it, mm. right? And so, and so as the first year teacher coming into the department, the next youngest person in the department had 10 years, right? And so I'm sitting and I'm saying to myself, I'm like, wait, you want me to teach American government in this attested area? And then you have people that have all this experience that don't want to teach it. Why do they not want to teach it? And that was exactly why they didn't want the test scores associated with their teaching. They didn't want you to be able to track their effectiveness in terms of getting kids to learn uh, based off of you analyzing that data. Yeah. And, and I, I just really need to emphasize how, number one, there was no national database of tracking the data you were talking about until 2019. And guess what? That was a direct result of protests and people agitating for that. And best believe that's probably going to be short-lived on the, on the long term when we look at the larger picture, right? So it's how data is used. Me, personally, I'm not against testing, right? If you need to look and analyze and, and there's a standard, standardized way of looking at it, fine. But it's the way it's used. That's my problem. So in Pennsylvania, teachers uh, building scores and test scores within their classroom are then analyzed and then they're granted a level of rating that goes back into the Pennsylvania state database. That database then collects it. Now, the long term use of that, I don't know what that means. Right. But I know as a teacher, if I was worth my salt, why would I stay at a school that continuously has these issues around testing? Because at the end of the day, all the research shows that testing all the research ish, all, all the research, all the research I've done. No, sir. All the research I've done in my life, right? Yeah. That around this, because like, don't get it twisted. Like, I got four boys. I got a 16-year-old to an eight-year-old. None of them ever took standardized tests for this reason because it's used in a way to punish teachers in schools that have low social economic status. It doesn't matter if you have a one or two parent household. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. When it comes to testing, the number one bottom line foundational factor is social economic status. So when you're looking at certain schools, like in Philadelphia, where we have concentrated poverty in certain places, you're gonna have low standardized tests across the board. And you might move up four points, you'll go down four points, you'll go up three points. And we've seen that this has been a consistent factor over the last 20 years, how these tests have been used. Now you can say, oh, well, my child, I'm gonna send them over here. And that's the whole point. It dislodges the whole system. And instead of having a real conversation Conversation about how we can actually level the playing field, which I would argue is social economic integration amongst students and families and communities going to the same school. Instead of this nonsense now that folks are like, well, that's a failing school. My child's going to go to a successful school, ignoring the fact that there's a consistent pattern that that failing school will never reach above five to six points above what the points were beforehand and then is used against teachers. So if I was a good teacher, why would I go to that school? Why would I go to a school which tells me that I have to test prep every single day of students where they have an hour and a half of English and math every single day at the neglect of social studies, at the neglect of even like 
the arts and other humanities type courses. I mean, like we're going to the situation where children are losing. I mean, brother, wait, 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 wait a second now. Wait, wait a minute, but it's, let me, wait a minute. I would, yeah, I want to throw a flag on that is because I want to, I want to push back on that because it doesn't have one. I want to push back on the idea that no schools uh, go above three or four points. I want, you know, I would, I want to say that unequivocally as a principal of two turnaround schools <laughs> let's go reef two turnaround schools it is very very you know i got to push back on that yeah as shaw when i got to shaw it was exactly how you describe you're talking about like a middle school student fifth through eighth grade a little less than a thousand kids 900 some kids they're the previous five years on these tests they their average growth was like one percent that, how you describe it, it wasn't even a four or five percent. It was one percent the previous five years before uh, before 2003. By 2008, almost half. We're not talking about four or five points. We're talking about going from three, four, five percent to 50 percent of kids being proficient and above. Right. So it's not a matter of, you know, can it be done? It can absolutely be done. Well, what I would say is that this, this, you know, this piece around teachers being punished, I want to say, you know, that's a, a complex and weighty thing. And I, I don't, that's not the only reason why people push back on it or good, because I had a ton of good teachers and they were coming to Shaw, to Shoemaker, to absolutely turn it around. And we did it keeping the arts keeping the sciences. Yes, doing more reading and math because they needed it making sure that writing was a part of, of, of the uh, curricula, keeping all of that, right? But, but not having any way to see, are we being effective in, in, in teaching besides, oh, I'm gonna do grade, and we already know about grade inflation and what that all means. But being able to look at, is this child literate? Is this, a, we gotta have some kind of standard. If not, it's, it's just the wild, wild west. So if we have the standard, all right, are we meeting the standard, right? And so, is, is definitely, it can be done. And there are schools across the country in hot, super high poverty, um, you know, communities. I was just visiting some in Memphis and these kids are working, they're being literate, they're being taught. And it ain't just, hey, look at, here's the measuring up book. Okay, do it like this. It's like, no, here's the standard. And this kid is gonna be literate and they're gonna know their math, right? And, this, and the, the way that everything is aligned. Cause that's the biggest thing around those schools when it's dysfunctional. It's not just that the teacher may not be effective or the principal may not be effective. Their system is incoherent, right? Like from communication, from making announcements during the middle of instruction, talking about, uh, can so-and-so come to the office, right? Like they, it's, it's a thousand little cuts like that that makes your school chaotic and undermined and sends a message that instruction ain't our number one thing. Well, mm -hmm. and, and just to say real quick, like the average amount of years that a teacher does teach in Philadelphia right now is three to five years, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have- That's everywhere. That's everywhere. And then we see these spikes, right? In what you described at, that happened at Shaw, right? Shaw, they closed Shaw, right? When they closed the German town when I was at. I had like, to get that in there. No, because that's the facts, man. Like but that wasn't. When, but wait a minute, wait a minute. It Come had on, nothing to just, do with that. You I can't. Know. Yeah, throw that in there because people are like, oh, well, was it because of the class? No, no, no. Let, 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 let me. And, and wait, 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 wait. Listen, let's not say they didn't close Shaw. They, they didn't close Shaw. Remember, they we got we we had Shaw had. Well, what did they do, bro? They closed ish. Yeah, like, no, no, it's, no. Mastery's in there now. 
Yeah, so they, they could, you know what I mean? So it was like, okay, hey, can Converted you, and yeah, and remember the district, so Shaw was a middle school, and when the last superintendent was here, when I was, when I was down there, when I left, they were trying to close middle schools, because everybody was like, yo, nobody, nobody wanted to teach middle schools, nobody wanted to leave middle schools, and so they were growing to K to eight. So yeah. naturally, if you go K to eight in the five buildings around me, the elementaries who used to feed in the Shaw, then it's less and less kids, except a kid who, oh, they just moved in or they transferred from a Catholic school or blah, blah, blah. So the numbers were so low. They were like, this not a, this not, we can't run a building mm-hmm. that with this kind of square footage with 150 kids. You know hold what on, I'm saying? Hold on. Real quick, real quick. Let me get Ish, right? And now it's a K to 12 building. I just, I just want to ask Ish a series of questions here, right? So Ish, <laughs> where did you go undergrad? Temple. You went to Temple undergrad? So I'm assuming that if you went to Temple undergrad, you had to take some kind of SAT or ACT in order to get in there. Nope. I went to community college. I graduated high school with a 1.6 GPA. And when they first introduced the PSSAs when I was in eighth grade, I I, I bubbled in black power and was called into the office and said, you know, these work against us and all this. And I was like, I don't care. I rest my case. You just lost lost the case. I love it. Hey, love that. Black power. But we ain't done yet. Hold up. No, no Ray, you lost no, your case, bro. No, no, Judge no, no, throws no, it out. No, 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 sir. No, sir. No, sir. Let Matt Lock. Let Matt Lock. Well, that's, but that's crazy. Like, it was introduced you in eighth grade. Like, I'm like, dang. I was, you know. So, Chris, you old, man. You old. This boy was at eighth grade when they uh, program. What's that? Where did you do your teacher education program? Temple. You did it at Temple, yep. right? And so, in order, are you a certified teacher? The first standardized test I've are ever taken. Certified, uh, no, 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 no. We just answer race questions right now. Yes. Are you a certified teacher? Yes, I am a certified teacher. What is the certification test that is used in Philadelphia, in, in Pennsylvania? Praxis. Okay. Praxis so you had to take. So you had to take Praxis One, which is a series of three tests, correct? Yes. Which was the reading, trash. the math, and yes. what, yeah, right. Which which anybody who could breathe could pass it, right? No. No, I mean, I no. Mean, I we actually have a problem. Right. We have so a wait, problem with that. Practice one, practice one. I feel like if you can breathe, you can pass it. Now, mm, okay. that's not true. So the data so, says opposite about, of that. I was about to say the fail. The, 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 the fail rate is high. Anomaly, then, sir. Anyways, so yeah. ish. So what are you certified in? What areas are you certified in? Judge, you're not going to ask him where he's going with his line of questioning? You're not going to ask him? Yeah, gonna... yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of know where he's going. I'm just, just saying I'm going with this. So, so wait, so, so, so that's that's four different, that's 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 two tests right there, correct? Yeah. That's two tests. Yeah. Two tests that have set you up for the rest of your life. That right? I didn't study for, that yeah. I really didn't really pay any attention to until the time I was like, oh, I got to take this test. What's the standardized test? Like, I never took one before. But it sets you like, up for the seriously. Rest of your, I think, I think you're undermining the argument a little bit, Ray Ray. Huh? You're undermining the argument a little bit, you know, especially with the praxis where there's no correlation between that and effectiveness and teach. I'm like, I don't know if you want to go that down. If we can, if we can pull you to the bench and have a little sidebar conversation by the bench, you know, we can help you uh, with your strategy. I'm going to add a couple of things here. Just let me add a couple of things. I would need this help from you, sir. I want to add a couple of things here just real quick. So, so I've heard that maybe for instance, like with Praxis, it's not directly related to how a teacher performs necessarily. Right. I have an argument against that. That's just a, it's just a lay person's argument, which is there is nothing correlated good with not being able to pass that test. So it could be totally unrelated to doing things well in life. You would want people that can pass things, period. 
even if it's complete, even if it's completely unrelated. As a matter of fact, I know a gang of teachers that actually had no problem with that test, right? Um, who went through alternative means of being educated to become teachers. And in our state, we were saying that they shouldn't be able to teach because they didn't go through the whole other stuff that everybody else went through to become a teacher or whatnot. And we're like, but those other people coming out of that other thing you're calling the College of Education keep failing this damn test. And these folks have a 100% pass rate. They're walking right to the straight of the line, front of the line. Now, I don't think that's related to how well they're going to do as teachers necessarily, but I am saying... If you've got one population not that's not having it, not having not having any problem with it at all, like 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 just even like if you knew how to play chess and you didn't know how to play chess, I would think there's nothing wrong with knowing how to play chess. As a matter of fact, people who play chess are very intelligent. It's a good marker of things. It doesn't have to be related to teaching. Now I know this is a, a off off the wall argument. I'm just saying, why why fight? Why fight to have people? that are failing a thing or failing a test, even if it's not directly related, there is a level of intelligence to just being able to do hard things. Like when people take the LSAT, that's full of crazy ass puzzles that I think are only for crazy people. When I looked at them myself, I was like, that is for crazy people. I want an attorney that can do those crazy puzzles or whatnot. Anyways, but I want to go back to something that you said earlier. Why would a good teacher go to one of those schools where there are so many kids that are probably going to have low scores and they're going to be rated on that? To turn it around. And that for me answer, that, that for me raised this other point, which is we have to define what we think a good teacher is, right? I don't know that a good teacher would be afraid of going to that school because they were going to be afraid that the kids' income levels doomed them to not doing well on tests. As a matter of fact, I think only bad teachers believe that all tests tell us is how poor kids are. I have always thought that that is scientific racism to say, well, you know, all these tests tell us is how poor a kid is and how undereducated their parents are. That's the strongest correlation. Number one, that's not the strongest correlation. Number two, there's a lot of other stronger correlations by uh, um, you're, you're blaming it on the kid's condition and dooming that kid demograph, uh, demography to doing poorly without actually investigating the systems that actually support those kids. Do those kids still do poorly when they're taught well? Do they still do poorly when their teachers understand their content knowledge and their content areas? Do they still do poorly when they don't have like trash systems in their schools and they're in better schools? No, because if you take those kids out all poor, all with having then parents that didn't son. graduate from college and just focus on them and then test the school as the variable and the teacher as the variable, suddenly you have to get out of your belief gap problem. Your problem that just because, well, you know, and I hate, like, like we have a lot of not black teachers who love to say this about our kids, thinking that they're being compassionate and what really they're, they're trading in is scientific racism. Uh, our kids have elastic brains. They can learn and they can pass the test. Well, I, I just want to say, number one, if we're talking about scientific racism, we got to talk about the origins of standardized tests. Ooh, now, I know you want to rip into I China know. and all this. Now, yeah, here we go. But when here we, we go. Here about, it comes. When we talk <laughs> about the Eurocentric. Put the screen on him. Real quick. When we talk <laughs> yes, about <us>. the Eurocentric <laughs> model of education that exists in America, you can have a direct correlation of the standardized test from the eugenics movement. Right. And this goes back to what my original point was like, don't oversimplify me as like somebody who's just trying to make an argument. No test like, you know, lolly die like, you know, we'll feel better at the end of the day. I'm saying it has a place. 
It's a question of how it's used under the system of white supremacy. And it's used to exclude our children at a deficit, at a detriment. It's used to the point where our students, our children aren't even exposed in most places, right, to deeper ideas and deeper concepts beyond just here, finish this close reading and, and finish this like three point essay or whatever. And it becomes a cycle within a point where, yes, you'll have a Sharif al Meki who is an all-star that will flip a school around, right? I Those are that. anomalies <laughs> when we're talking about the overall yes, system and do. most of our children within our city. And, and like, when I say this, I say this with all the love. Like, there is no measurement qualitatively that is measured in the same way as this kind of quantitative blanket, blanket kind of like cutoff type of situation where they use these things against us. No Child Behind Act was literally made at the detriment of black children. They took it money away from schools saying, we're it making better schools now. It did not. It flooded the schools with money. You're capping. It flooded the schools with money. That was the payoff of NCLB. NCLB was accountability for money. And how many people they gave, cheated? They gave, how many people they, cheated? I mean, we had a whole situation uh, in Atlanta. Bro, don't you do that to situation. Don't do that you to Wakanda. You had that happen. No, 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 no. Let's talk about it. Yes, you Atlanta had that in Atlanta. Wakanda. You had that I in know. Atlanta. <laughs> and you know why? Because you had trash teachers. You had don't a do teacher. That. Don't do that. No, no, don't no, no. That. I'm going to do it. Don't stop me. You had a teacher who literally said in court, uh, uh, one of the teachers who got off scot-free because she just, she just from the get-go said, yeah, I'm guilty. She just, the other ones that went to jail were the ones who refused to say that they were guilty. The one who just said, yeah, y'all got me, was the one who told another teacher I had to give them the answers to the test because your students is dumb as hell. That's literally what your bourgeoisie of the the the, the educated black people who are lording over hey, a school system of poor, undereducated. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. Right? You had an entire professional class of bourgeoisie college-educated folks lording over a poor system where they had as much hatred for these kids as the police department in Memphis has for that brother that they just killed. And she said in court, literally, I had to give your kids the answer because they dumb as hell, right? They, the others said worse, and they were all trying to get this money and these benefits and whatnot. We can argue about whether the system was right or not, whether it was fair. But what I am going to say is the cheating didn't come from NCLB. Cheating, you know, like it's not like marriage makes people, you know, not want to be uh, have fidelity in their marriage. Right. Like the, the rule of like a rule doesn't make you a bad person. You a bad person. If you cheat and you cheating, you a cheater. But what NCLB did do was make states disaggregate the data because they had been uh, they had been coupling black and brown students in with the white students and saying we're doing fine without breaking Absolutely. out the data. And that's what NCLB did was it put a lot of states on the hook for saying you've been lying for years. You have been nice. lying to these people for years. Here, we can show you the numbers now that we couldn't show you before because you weren't disaggregating them. And oh, by the way, you were gaming the system. Every time those kids wouldn't be proficient, you were lowering the proficiency bar. You had no standards. So, and so, you're giving so, them sub subpar teachers, right? Yeah. This is all the stuff that we don't talk about when we talk about testing is this poor kids uh, uh, do poorly on tests because oh, they're poor hey, listen, look, or because they have bad communities or all that stuff. Listen, this is my only answer to that. When you take everybody else out the data set, not all poor kids are doing poorly. Nope. Not all of them are in trash classrooms. Not all of them are doing bad. So to say that poor kids fail because they're poor, blah, 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 without talking about the other variables, take all the other kids out the data set. 
Just look at poor kids, poor black kids in the United States, and then start asking questions. Where are they doing the best? Where are they doing the worst? You know, what, what are the conditions of the ones that are actually succeeding? They're not all failing. Listen, a lot of them so, actually are passing these tests. Chris, I, I, this is where I use Success Academy as a case in point. Whenever I'm uh -oh. making, whenever I'm making my standardized, <laughs> whenever I'm making my standardized testing argument, I always use Success Academy, and here's why: they have a 98 percent uh, free and reduced lunch. So those kids in New York City are the poorest of the poor in some of those. Say schools. it, say and it. And yet, when they are tested in New York State exams. They score between 90 and 100% proficient in terms of their proficiency levels uh, uh, in New York State. Whereas you can go to the suburbs, like suburbs on Long Island. You can go to uh, Scarsdale, which is one of the richest places in New York, right? Where per pupil is probably around between $25,000 and $28,000 per pupil in some of these places. And yet, those kids are not performing as well as the poor kids at Success Academy. And so there's something to say about what they're doing at Success Academy. And even though it's a charter school and folks are anti-charter this and that or whatever, something is happening in there. And now Chris, I want to hear Ish. Now I want Ish to come back on this because I can I'm I'm writing what he's gonna say in my head. So I want to hear it, bro. <laughs> what do you so so I've said this a lot of times, I get in trouble for this all the time. If Success Academy educates 20,000 students. So the average uh, district size is only 3,000 in the United States, which makes uh, Success Academy the most successful of color school district in the United States. So if you want to look at where kids are poor and, and of color and doing well, that's a 20,000 school district. There's no the person's school district. There's nothing like it anywhere else. But I get in trouble every time I bring this up. So Ish, what say you about that? There are these poor kids that are doing very well. Well, yeah, no, I Listen, when I say that statistic, I'm talking about averaged across the board. Like, mm -hmm. yes, anomalies exist, right? I would love to look it's at the predictable. model. And, 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 yeah. yeah, I mean, but I would look, I would love to look at that model. There are people like the Blacker, Black Teacher Collaborative that are literally looking at what is working in Black schools across the country. Like, I'm all about that life. Mm -hmm. But at mm -hmm. the same time, mm -hmm. if you tell me that they're doing good because their test scores, I by default, roll my eyes. Because at the end of the day, what about the social emotional intelligence? What about kind of the college success rate once they leave? Because I know in Philadelphia, yeah, yeah our yeah, test scores are trash, right? For real, for real. But when students leave and act like black students actually leave and then attend college, they have the higher success rate to graduate college than any other group in Philadelphia. So, what like, I don't understand about your position, though, Ish. What I don't understand about this is, you see, I'm calling the other guy. That well, don't what, sound right, Ish. I what, what I don't, you gotta, you gotta send that to me, Ish. I, I, mean, I, uh, <laughs> I literally read it. Like, I mean, I'm glad, ago. I'm glad to hear it, just because a few years when they looked at that longitudinal study, yeah, the turnaround, John. You know, eighty-seven percent of uh, you know, mm. black boys had no college, you know, uh, beyond that, and then the ones who did. You know, most of the 13% were, you know, like technical, you know, yeah. they got something post um, high school, but, you know, the ones who are actually doing well and graduating college. I mean, yes, number because Philly's so big, you have numbers wise, but like as far as like the percentage, it's, you know, and, and this was a little dated. I haven't seen the update of what that's why I would love. I, I'm, I'm hopeful like that. That would be fantastic. I want to see it, but this is 
I still want you to do well on your math and reading and science tests. Oh, yes, of course. But I like, mean, the bottom line, like, because I agree with you. Like, listen, you and I, this is where you and I are going to agree. Social and emotional learning. Everybody should be paying attention to, to what we do to support kids in schools to be able to help them with their self-regulation, their boundaries, their ability to process and cope, and hopefully not have to cope too much, as a matter of fact, right? Like, we, we don't want to teach kids to cope and all that stuff. But I'm saying it's super important. And so are all these other, like, you know, um, I think, you know, uh, trades and sports and all these other things are important. I don't know what they have to do, though, with the idea that I still want the kids just to do well on these two, three tests that we give them, not to the exclusion of anything else, not to say that you don't have to, like, do anything else you don't have to do or anywhere else. But I do think it's a problem if the majority of your kids aren't passing those tests. I mean, my thing, I is, think it's a problem. My thing is, if it's, if it's another way to ensure that folks are literate, and that there is equity, like that there is not this, you know, this constant, you know, uh, you know, understanding and prediction. Like you should not be able to predict how someone's going to do in school based off of their socioeconomic status, their demographics. Yeah. But you can, right? Like you can, you can, you can. And that's because of a whole lot of factors. And one of the biggest factors is they got ABT. They ain't been taught. And as long as we have that as part of the paradigm, and nobody wants to be accountable, professors are teaching courses that are not preparing folks to teach, and they say, don't hold me accountable. Then teachers come, and they're in, in, the, in, the, in front of kids. They might have 100 kids per person. You're in high school, you got about 100 kids per year. You teach for 10 years, that's 1,000 students. For, for an educator to say, like, I, you know what, they're poor. So I, I'm not really account. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that is devastating. That is absolutely devastating. And so for me, if there's a way, and, I'm, and again, I, I think we can improve tests. I think we can continue to find, and 100% and about all the other things that y'all brought up that needs to be a part of, if it's a good school experience and advancing um, children, advancing communities, advancing society, 100% all those other things. When you peel it back, my Angelo said, like, illiteracy should be focused on this ending illiteracy to have the same energy that was had to end enslavement. And then without measuring it in some kind of way, I don't see how you do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Listen, man, like, you, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not as optimistic about how this system works and y'all are right. I we ain't optimistic. We some of the most pessimistic. Our whole thing is about we want to fight. You know? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's the thing that's so surprising to me, man. Because like at the end of the day, like this will never be towards our benefit. Arguing on their terms will always be at the detriment no, we of our get children. To, with so, our yeah, own terms, though, but I'm still literacy is still our term. Oh, Black no, literacy on our term. Ain't no, listen, and this is what I'm gonna say. At Nathan Musasa, the best school in the, um, ever, <laughs> we tested. Yeah. When yeah. I was in Iran, we tested. Matter of fact, we had a national test, a national test. Everybody across the country, so they know where's the things going well, where are they not? And I can tell you, pound for pound, Iran, because of how they approach math and science, per capita, most doctors, most engineers, most scientists from that little country of 65 million people. What? And they test it, right? Like, so it's like, you know. Sharif, it, it, Sharif, and that point right there on Iran to me is so important because 
it just exposes one of the things that's the biggest myth in these conversations we have with these Afrocentric kind of like conversations that we're having, which is testing isn't a white thing. No, not at all. To completely align it and make it like it's like white people invented testing for the purposes of white supremacy and it's just white supremacy, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I don't care. Who's making that argument? They they passed some kind of test. Whoever created the pyramids, they passed some kind of test. Kendi, you you just said, he asked the question, who made that argument? Kendi makes the the argument. Kendi also says Angela Davis was a Black Panther. Like, come on, man. You gotta take that with a grain of salt. Man. Yeah, but, but let me honorary. say this. Let me say She's this. A, this is, she was a supporter, this is, honorary. He, what comes out of she was character. honorary. And, and so what comes out of this mm. though is no matter what system you set up, you're gonna test. Take take white people completely out of it. Do whatever you want to do. Set up a school. You will eventually set up a test. You're gonna so, start testing at some point. Um, it's going to become important for you to do it. But this is what I want to say. When you say that thing about optimistic, we optimistic about the system. And I see in the comments, you know, there's people like the teachers get, you know, crapped on and the teachers only, you know, this and that. And it, like the teachers are innocent. I'm not optimistic about the teaching force. So when I hear teachers talk about they don't like tests, of course they don't. They don't like in the same way that, that police officers don't like body cams. And the black ones don't like it just like the white ones don't like it, which is why you have black and white and green and brown teachers marching together arm in arm saying, give us more money and no accountability. We don't want any tests. We don't want any numbers. We don't want to be rated on anything. We don't want to be evaluated. We don't want anybody coming in our classrooms. We're the experts, even though nobody can read in our classrooms. These kids are just poor. That's why they can't read. It's not because of us. It's nothing that we're doing. It's not that we're like that. We shouldn't have been teachers in the first damn place. So when I hear all this teacher sympathy, all this sympathy for the police officers of classrooms, uh, which is what teachers actually are. If we want to get really bogus about it, that's, I disavow. I, I know y'all gonna disavow. I mean, I know y'all gonna disavow, but you don't want to go. It's because you don't want to go all the way. Which is, you can't call one system white supremacist system and another one not just because you want to have sympathy for no, the no, people I that are in it. No, I want to push back because this ties back to something earlier that I want to push back on. Do this it. idea of yes, we want to recruit more black teachers, but what, the way we're recruiting folks, we're saying from the beginning the same way that chris emden talks about when you're becoming an educator you're making a a daily choice do i do damage to the children or the system that's how we're recruiting folks that's how we're developing folks like we're we're very clear you're not coming in here to to oil the the uh the gears that are grinding black kid black and brown and poor kids up to dust to grinding their aspirations you're not coming in here to oil that and maintain that you're coming in here to be vanguards of children about the ban from from, about the ban from these comments and do damage to the system or damage to kids that's the choice as we're bringing in educators, as we're recruiting, we're that's the banner that's being um being planted it ain't just hey come on do you have the right mindset do you have the right skill level? And do you have the will to do what's necessary to make sure that we're protecting and educating black children, making sure they're safe culturally, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and academically? Are we doing that? That's the group that we're uh, that we're going for. Now, when police are when police are are, are are recruited with that representation, we need more black teachers. They're not being recruited to hey come in and do damage to the system. You will never hear anybody recruiting police to say that. Never. Well, no, but you will. Is that even what they do? The, they do. They do 
community policing. That's not. That's not. I was about to say they, they do recruit. That's damaging black, the system. They do recruit you, black police. They got police the right they're right they're right right. Yes, it is. No, they not. Man, man, some of them will end up. What happens to them when they, if they even mention something? They like it's not even close to the. I don't. I don't want to get lost in this point, but I will say this much: the same thing that you just said is being pitched to black educators coming in is being pitched with, uh, with diversity recruitment efforts of cops and uh, diversity recruitment efforts in a lot of other places. It's not unique to the, it's not, bro. I'm just telling you very clearly. I'm, listen, the, I've, I've after been the George Floyd folks. thing, at the George Floyd thing, they did all, every kind of diversity kind of recruitment. Diversity, thing, that's, just, that's different though. They were not in uh, Ferguson I'm not saying- finishing. I'm not finishing. They are saying to come in and transform the system. They tried to pass a whole uh, defund the police, uh, change the police department, uh, a thing in, in Minneapolis. They tried right. like a whole. Did they, and what's what's the what is the police's uh, what what is the thing the uh, they wanted to replace it. They wanted to replace it with the community affairs. Yeah, and, and you got y'all were doing y'all were doing something very. That ain't what most of the place right. around the country. Y'all were doing something very unique and really talking at least talking about i don't know where so it unique is that they stole it from so unique that they stole it from like five other progressive cities that are trying yeah, to do that but that it, thing, but that's right? not you that's know, not so, the national you know. conversation about police recruitment though chris yeah. that was in minneapolis very well, that's specifically it's not, not the national discussion about recruiting people into teaching either it's like I, it's a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh, I, you know? I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. I'm like <laughs> it's, it's not it's not like it's so far man. but like, you hear man. more for damn order. There is order. What are you talking about? There's no order it's chaotic. Just because okay. you didn't get a chance to uh, say in this last minute doesn't mean it's not order. It's probably more order nice. because of that. In minutes. <laughs> I will say this much, and uh, and I'll pass it to y'all. Someone in the comments said that they had their kids opt out of the test. I was a big anti-opt-out person for years. Fought the white folks that were trying to run an opt-out um, um, thing. I can just say for my own, like everybody's got their own experiences in life, right? Everybody's got their own things. If it wasn't for test and testing, I know that my, in my own family situation, there would have been things that would have not got caught uh, and we would have lost some time and it would have been detrimental uh, at different points within the educational process. Um, so uh, so I guess people just have different different relationships with the schools. I don't trust the teachers to not let your child fail for a full year and not tell you and only realize it at the end of the year that that's what happened. I don't trust that you can just put your kids in school and not have any third party objective data or information about where they are to have some sort of level setting bar from year to year to year to year to year. So I'm not opting anybody out in my household of anything that gives me data that I need. I'm not opting out of doctor's appointments. I'm not opting out of well care visits. I'm not opting out of like reading tests. I'm not opting out of math tests. None of that because I don't trust not even, it's not just the system. I don't trust the classroom teachers either. So all this teacher sympathy and all this, they're being rated harshly and all that type of stuff, miss me with it. Cause I didn't watched, I didn't watch them actually not pay attention to a child losing ground all year long. And then when brought up on it and that child had a 504, then go, oh, you know, I kind of thought there was something going on, but I didn't really follow. I didn't come back and follow up on it. You didn't do what? You didn't, and and how did we catch this? We caught this because of testing, right? Like, I don't, I'm not trustful at all as a parent that I can live without third-party data about what's going on. Trust and verify. See, the third-party data for the, for the 50th time, I think I said right here that I'm that. not against <laughs> testing, right? <laughs> but the way it's used by the system 
is biased and not for our children's interest. I mean, it's, 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 it's real quick, real quick, real quick. Tell us how to use it. Tell us how to use the data. You mean how do we create our own data points about the values in which we want to see our students let's actually go. live do into? That. Do that. So let's be solution oriented. Like, tell us how. Tell us how. If you if you had your way, yeah. in terms of how uh, teachers could effectively use data in marginalized communities, what would it be, and how would they use it? Go ahead. I would move towards a portfolio model of student work which has certain markers of indication of what skills we want to actually see in our students. I would also take away kind of the boxed way disciplines are actually handled. So like students are like reading things that have nothing to do with anything that don't connect to larger ideas. I would make sure that those boxes were broken and that content and uh, uh, disciplines were kind of melded together in a way which many other countries actually engage in, like Iran, right? When we're talking about even like Finland and all these other places and give teachers, right? Because I was a teacher for 12 years, man. Being a teacher is hard work, man. And what you're describing right now of not trusting teachers, I think that's a larger existential issue when it comes to folks not being able to teach our children. But like that is also tied to what we started this whole conversation with, right? You're talking about good cop or bad cop when they work with injustice in the backdrop. You're talking about good teacher, bad teacher when they work with the whole same system in the backdrop, right? So, like, I know as a teacher, I was a rebel within it. I should have told my students, I am not going to reinforce structures of oppression within this classroom. And they mm. looked at me like I was a nut until they understood what I was talking about. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So, so like, I don't like my children are opted out, and right now we are fighting the fact that my eighth grade son can't go to high school to certain place, not even be considered, even though he's a peer, uh, a certified peer mediator. He is a junior black belt. I know they kind of make that up, um, but like he has proven track record of a child that is socially emotionally aware that can do the work. And because his parents have decided not to have him do a standardized test, he can't, he's straight up just ineligible for any type of school within that, within the school district that would quite frankly challenge him. And it's a shame that we can't send him to his neighborhood high school, but that's a reflection of creating a system like this. Right. And I, I'm sorry, me and my wife are just dedicated to not co-sign to not be complicit or complacent as this stuff goes down. Not only do we opt them out of testing, they can't do test prep in school. Not only can't they do test prep, they can't do computer-based uh, interventions that have a marker that ties them to their individual uh, student ID because we recognize all these things are working in conjunction to really undermine real education, the values and the relationships that need to be cultivated within the school space. And I know that sounds radical to folks, but at the end of the day, who loses in that situation? Who wins? I don't think it's I don't think it sounds radical. I think it, you know, it's I think that's everybody's individual choice to do these things. Like opt out of people are opting out of a lot of things, but this is this is the thing about systems. And if I think about it in the big picture, first of all, you and I have very different family situations. Like, so I, I need data that you don't need for some reason. Right. Like my situation requires me to have data that you don't need in your family. That's fine. Um, what I see, though, the logical long run, what I see in all of this is, OK, then let's have everybody opt out and we just won't know where black kids are. 
in terms of their studies that they blah, blah, blah. So nationally, let's just, as a matter of fact, let's not even have them opt out. Let's just erase the data for them. Let's just throw out all the test scores from last year and, and the year before in the last 10 years and the last 50 years, and let's just dump them. Let's just hit delete. Let's hit the delete button and get rid of all the testing that's ever been done on black kids. Who's saying that? Like, no, I know no, I, I just, have, I, but like that, that? no, you, I, bruh. If I'm everybody did what, that. if everybody, that is the I logical conclusion. If everybody did what you just said that your family does, that is the logical conclusion. Yeah, no, but, but here's the logical conclusion is saying, stop having these things used in a way that they're used. Like by use doing it what, to your, really, what your family like, did. Come on, man. Like, but you if, don't if, if everybody did what your family did though, yeah, but, if everybody but, did what your family did, the logical conclusion the following is that, right? This, this is giving me this is giving me anxiety. I'm not, I, I feel like I'm not being able to like- Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. To say the things that I, that I need to say. And it's, it's really like, it's, it's really bothering me. All right, we're gonna so, put the scream on you, right? Here you go. So, I, I don't know if I need to scream, but, but here's what I'm- Here's anxiety. Don't, don't put them in, you know, like that so, makes it work. So if, so, if you're doing all that ish, now put put me back because I need to see him. I need to see ish because I'm talking to him. If you ish, if you if you're doing all this and whatnot in terms of like you know being radical towards the system, right? You know who the system works for, right? You know all all of your all of your data interventions that you're doing right now is preventing. First of all, brief. Give me the statistic. What's the percentage of what's the racial breakdown of teachers in Pennsylvania? Philadelphia is 4%. Well, I'm talking about black male. No, no, it's 96% what? White in the state? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we if we're if we're saying to folks, right, to go the ish way and to not hold people accountable, not test, not do any of that stuff, you're actually protecting 96% of, 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 of white teachers by not having any kind of data points in order to say, hey, my kids are learning or my kids are not learning. One of the major things about standardized tests for me is that it shows us the inequities that are happening in rural and urban areas, right? And so then there's more federal allocation, federal aid that's then put into those schools based off of them being determined as Title I schools, them being determined as under uh, under um, underperforming schools. So in New York State, for example, if you are a school that's underperforming, then more money is going to be allocated towards you in order for you to kind of have programs to fix that situation. There's no way of knowing that if there's no testing that's happening. And so you'll still have the haves and have nots, but you'll have more of the haves and you'll have more of the have nots if there's no testing in order to show that, hey, this data is this way and we need more help here. I feel like and I'm missing something too. Uh, I, I want to ask Ish this because uh, Anna Ramirez has a comment here where she says, I do not get that logical conclusion. So I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. So what I'm saying is, you have told us what your family opts out of, all the different things that they opt out of. And I am saying, if every Black person hearing this decided to do that, exactly that, in large numbers, and we said, let's just make that the movement, we're all going to do it, the same thing. I'm saying that the logical conclusion then is we have 8 million black children in public schools if they suddenly all stopped taking the test and didn't do any of that, that there is a data set that would be missing there from year to year to year that we eventually would want. We would eventually want that back again because that's the thing that we get a lot of interventions for. That's the thing that we, um, that we actually 
uh, pinpoint where the problem is necessarily. Like when I said earlier, they're not all failing and we know where they are failing and doing worse, right? Like not all our kids are doing terribly or poorly. We keep talking about the average, the average, the average on average, stop averaging shit, start putting stuff on a scatter plot and looking at the bottom of the scatter plot and the top of the scatter plot. And you will see a range of things, but you only do that because you have data. So it takes a lot. I've said this before. It takes a lot of blood samples to, to know what your normative range is when you're talking about blood, uh, blood testing. So if people just stopped like taking blood pressure tests, for instance, or just any type of test you do, it starts corrupting the data. And then there's just things you can't see, like heart attacks. But that's my whole point. Like, we are having millions of Black children dying of heart attacks still, regardless of how much they get tested. And this is my point, right? We've been doubling down on Not this regardless, though. Let's be honest been, about the bad. facts. They've been doing better uh, since NCLB than they were doing. And they had more so, rapid So you're telling me Black, pe black people as a whole have been doing better since no black child children have been doing financially, like economically, wealth-wise? I'm not saying, but that's not what those tests test. They don't test... I know, uh, but th this is the They don't thing. test flat feet, for instance. Like, no, no, maybe... You know, they don't test everything. They test academics. And academically... <laughs> Be, when we started disaggregating the data, schools and districts actually had to start being more accountable for making sure that black children were progressing like white children. So were. you're telling and me yes, that 90% of, of black children start passing these tests that they wouldn't change this test? You're telling me- you know, We that, don't know that this has never happened. This is my point though. Things How can like you make this, that point if it's never happened? Eh? No, but the thing that does happen is that the rules get changed once black folks start gaming the game. I mean, like, you can point to many things throughout history based on that. I mean, we could point to civil rights and voting rights right now being stripped from Black folks, right? We could talk about the fact that Black wealth is actually on the decline, and it has been on the decline for the last 30 years, 40 well, who, years. who? Not Reef? <sighs> no, I feel... No, but, like, the point I'm trying to say... Oh, not, not Reef. I, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying overall, though, is like, what are we, what are we Ish, doing? I know you, I know you with us for the next few weeks. Anytime he throws something in, just keep going. Don't I, even, I you to. know what I mean? You see those, <laughs> those, you see those progressive commercials where the the boy chaos, he just trying to distract. Don't do it, you know. Just. But stay that's at what point. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like this is a distraction to what we need to be talking about, and but, the, but, how it's used is a distraction. Like I don't want. That I mean, what, to be used in I that think what way. Ish is saying is, uh, I, here, well, here's what, I, I, what I'm hearing from Ish is he's not against testing. He does have problems with how it's being used, right? And I do agree that people should have, you know, I, I don't think that individuals opting out or individual families opt out means that, you know, then we throw out the entire system. I, I have no problem with individuals, uh, people opting out of whatever, and my biggest problem is when teachers are encouraging busy families who are doing all kinds of things and they just say, opt out, don't take this. The grade I assign is really how your child is doing. That's my problem. Cause that's what I was seeing in the opt out. I, I think I told you all this a while ago, my uh, now uh, high schooler, when she was in elementary school, her teacher pulled her to the side it was a white teacher, pulled her to the side and said, aren't y'all Muslim? And Sakina says, yeah. And she says, that means y'all don't believe in tests, right? One, not having, don't know a shit about Islam, but telling her her religion means that she should opt out. And she was saying, 
Like you should, you know, you should talk to your mother. She was using her this child's religion and trying to use that to to game and say like, yeah, that means y'all shouldn't y'all shouldn't take this test. They just know like we're rebels, and so we just want to like rebel against all American uh, value <laughs> systems. <laughs> They're just like, hey, you Muslim, you don't like this and that, you don't do all of that, so you must not want to take this PSSA. I was like, yo, tell her that I definitely, if I was, and I was never. If I was, tell her I definitely want to see the score now because I trust you even less than I did before. And I didn't trust you enough to throw, you know, far enough to throw you. But, like, that's my thing is, like, for them to, you know, tell parents, opt out, opt out, sending them all these messages. And then if a parent does say, like, how do I know my kid is literate? Oh, just look at the, the, the grade that I give you. Right. Like to me, mm -hmm. that is the that is like what undermines, because at the end of the day, I'm like, all right, throw all the tests out. How will I know my child is literate? How will I know that they're numerate? That's mm -hmm. what. And nobody's able to answer that for me, because mm -hmm. even to to figure that out, yeah. they got to take a test. Reef, hold up. Reef, hold up. And, and to add to your point. Right. And I'll, I'll finish with this. In Pennsylvania, if there's 96 percent of teachers that identify as racialized white. In Pennsylvania. And we say, you know what? We're throwing out all these standardized tests. We're only going to do formative assessments. So you still got 96% of people that are white that are giving formative assessments to black kids. How is that not white supremacy? But that's my point. This whole John is white supremacy, right? And but, so but somebody, somebody, somebody in the comments was just like, why don't we just do formative assessments? Oh, I understand the idea as an educator, like good form. With an educator that I trust. With an yeah. educator that I trust, cool. I, I will allow you to formatively assess my child. But, but in the system, because we, because here, here it is. If we're talking about individual educators, then it's based off of rapport. It's based off of your trust that you have for that person. And so now I can ask you for I can ask you questions about how my child is doing without you getting offended, without you feeling like I'm coming for your neck, without you feeling any of those things. And you give me the data that I feel as if I deserve, right? And then and then that will allow me that will allow me to then trust you as an educator, right? Let me, but, let me just ask you a basic question. Why 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 are black kids failing these tests? Why do they fail these tests? Because they're not being prepared. I would say that why, why aren't they being prepared? Why, why aren't they being because they don't because they don't have teachers that that are, some teachers don't even have the ability to prepare them and so and plus bro I'm if we being honest here um put the screen on me how <laughs> <laughs> me get loose all right ladies and gentlemen chocolate mountain here you go <laughs> these people don't give a shit about black students and, and, and here's why. You can find some classrooms where they're teaching grade levels below where these kids are. So you could go into a third grade class, which was where they initially start testing in third grade. And then you'll have lessons that are being taught to black kids that are on first grade reading level, first grade math level. And so then when you get to take that third grade test at the end of the third grade, how the hell are these kids supposed to perform on that test? How are they supposed to pass it? If you have people in there that don't love black kids and they're not teaching them to the levels in which they can go, they're not, they're not pushing them to the levels in which we know that they can go. You talked earlier about brain elasticity, right? If they're not doing that, if they don't love these kids, then of course they're going to fail these tests. I mean, I co-signed that 150,000 time percent. And I, that's what I'm saying with this existential issue that we're talking about. 
when, when and and I think so, uh, someone posted a drone about Coretta Scott King talking about the black teacher they didn't have much, but the teaching was there and it was real, right? And Sharif talks about his Who's own that experience. Your wife that posted that was my wife that posted. Don't do that, that man. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ash, drop it in there, Ash. But give me but, some facts up in this drone. Yeah. But th- this this the whole thing we're talking about though. No, I know, but like this the whole thing we're talking about, right? Like yeah. there is a place to push back against the overemphasis on testing so much so that children that that go to the schools that need the most support are the ones being pigeonholed into kind of a test prep model which undercuts other things like we could why talk do, why about, do they put them in test prep it, it, it undercuts the testing it, 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 actually, it actually undercuts what they claim they want to be about like so, so this but why, why are they this, doing that why are they doing what, it though like why? because they because they want to game the system like because they the can't thing. teach because they, they no, can't wait teach wait a minute that's, that's what, what yeah I mean, that's, that's why but that's but that's all a part of it. But but then again, who's responsible for that, Chris? It's not just you don't just become a better teacher out of osmosis. So you're saying this teacher is not going to get any coaching. All they're going to do is being told you have to raise the score. Now, no coaching, no coherence in the system, no yeah. alignment in between standard and what's being taught. None of that. None of that. And then it's just like, oh yeah, teachers are already coming out of out of educator prep program saying I'm not prepared to teach. Period. Anybody. That's right. And then you That's add, true. then you add race, class, power, privilege, and then it's like, oh, I'm definitely not ready to. I can't teach my own kid. Kids who look like me and we share cultural background. And now I'm talking mm-hmm. about your kid. No, I'm not ready to teach, right? And so, but when you talk about like what you know, what's the problem? Why black kids can't pass? It's multiple. Like it's it's a simple question. The answer is not as simple because it's it's multi-layered, right? Like low expectations, absolutely. Not only the person in the classroom the school, the district, and those who have influence on the district, the classroom and the schools, policymakers, politicians, funders, all of them, right? I told you about Pennsylvania lawmaker who said, like, why do we, we don't even care, we don't even care if they can pass the test because our state needs those who can make pizza crust, right? Like we don't care, they don't need algebra, they don't need higher level courses because we also need mm-hmm. people who can make pizza crust. Who they talking about? He ain't talking about his kid. He ain't talking about his homies' kids. He's talking about <laughs> our kids, right? And this is this is a quote. This is something he said in court, not like, oh, is somebody uh put a you know was eavesdropping while he in the bar getting drunk and talking shit. No, this is what he said in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So if he none of this listen to this stone, none of this sounds none of this is a problem low, with the test. Low expectations, incoherent systems, mm-hmm. poor training. Mm-hmm. Lack of resources, all of that ties into why this, you know, Raheem can't pass the test, why he's not more literate, why he's not able to reach his full potential. Because that's the end of the day. That's what it is, his full potential. And so, again, what he said was how it's being used, right? Because they won't they won't do any of the things around resources, anything like that, but then say, hey, y'all need to pass the test like that to me is problematic. And when I approached it as a principal, it was a more holistic way. And yes. And my expectation was we're going to pass this test. But just like I want you to pass any other test that's put in front of you. And, and that's why I, I, I would go and volunteer to be part of the uh, 
you know, the bias committee to look at the test at, at the Capitol and be like, let me look at this because I want to make sure that if we're asking black and brown kids to do it in my school and district, I want to be able to say like, yeah, this is something I would want my kid to be able to do. But see, I, I just want to say like earlier, the thing that, uh, that Ashley put in uh, earlier about Coretta Scott King, uh, I think that's uh, who she was quoting. Uh, Vanessa Siddlewalker, I think, is some is got to be like uh, it's got to be mandatory reading for everybody, right? Like to in these conversations, when you look at the black schools that that existed before 1954, we talk about them a lot, but people got to just keep bringing them up and keep thinking it through. Those were some of the poorest schools with kids coming from some of the most traumatized, uh, super crazy racist country type of stuff that was going on in the world at that time. And they were closing gaps with those kids every day. And they were doing they were closing gaps on things that mattered, like testing, because they were taking the test and actually translating them for the kids in their schools. And they actually had professional development amongst black teachers across the American South. Right. So we're talking about kids that were more traumatized in a more racist world, in a more racist situation with fewer resources than we have now, with less money and less of everything. But the thing that was different was the teachers that I am talking about from 1954 and that Vanessa Siddle Walker talks about don't exist anymore. The teachers that we have now came in the aftermath of two, three generations after that and have been poorly trained and to they, they have developed a compensatory language around why they are failing. Right. Uh, um, and and part of that language comes down to, yeah, they're fine with formative tests. They, they talk about over testing, but the majority of tests given to students and to kids are actually teacher devised. They're giving 8 million unstandardized tests every year. Unstandard. I was about to say, do you, what scares me more? A standardized test that's given once annually or, or millions and millions and millions of unstandardized tests by teachers that, you know, Ray told us what the demographics of your teachers are in that state. Do I want a million unstandardized tests given by these awesome teachers who just love our kids and they're all down with social justice, even though our kids can't pass a damn test? No, I don't want that because they're still testing them. They're giving them tests every day. My kids take all kinds of tests. And believe me, they're not all standardized. And they're not all coming from the state. They're not the once annual test. You know, one kid has a test a week in one class and then in another one in another class and blah, 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 whatever. So, so this whole anti-testing thing, right? It just we It's weird how it always just has to put that word standardized in front of it. Like all the other tests are good, like the unstandardized tests that our kids are taking every day that we can't track. I can't track those unstandardized tests. I don't know what the hell is going on with those, those formative. Because you know what those formative tests tell you? They tell you that we're still not making it to the finish line by the end of the year, but we gave them 50 step formative tests to understand that they weren't making it by the end of the year. Right. Well, and, that's and, why I need a summative test. I well, need a bottom line. And, and, and this is where I come, you know, as being my position as social studies uh, director for the school district now, all our assessments for social studies content are performance-based tasks. So we want students to use real-world skills in order to assess what they have learned. So like what real-world skill it is is bubbling in a test besides bubbling in another test, right? We want students to be able to know what 
uh, congressional representative from their state represents them, how to contact them, how decisions are made, who are the, the you know, the structure of uh, bill making and everything like that. And I'm talking from a social studies lens, right? But the whole purpose of it is we don't want students just to sit in their own little individualized type situation, which testing does. We want students to look at it from a more holistic angle where they're actually using real world skills. Now, Again, that does not mean I'm against testing. What am I? Mm. What I am against is the way it's used. It's used to exclude. It's used to say you ain't smart enough. And children internalize that. I've taught in places that would be considered right. You know, places folks don't want to go to. Right. I taught there for dec- you know, decade, and I know for a fact that those students internalize this uh, idea that they're not good enough that they're not smart enough, that they can't perform on the level necessary for school for them to perform to the point where, you know, school, I don't, school is a waste of time. And unfortunately, yeah, but it's how, how would they, how would they feel about being illiterate and being in these streets trying to raise a family? Listen, you can only process as much as you've been processed. So that's a problem. When I'm just saying, but like, like that, that may be, but also we got a whole lot and we, like the folks, you know, when I was when I was working at the roundhouse and interviewing these um, these young folks who were coming in, they, they, they were, yeah, yeah, like I, I mean, it, and I so agree. like that, and then not knowing if they can or not, and then you know because they like getting grades, like I did, I did good, you know, the ones the quiet ones, like oh, I, I went through, nobody took, I got B's and C's. Yeah. Right, like so, got all of grades. it. That's yeah, right. I got good, good grades. grades. This is the existential yeah. thing I'm yeah. talking about. And then you get about. smacked in the face with like a reality, like oh yeah, they were lying to you. No, but that's the existential thing that I think we haven't reconciled. Right, we haven't got our bearing once you know black schools were cut off at its trunk. Right, mm-hmm. we haven't, and so like we're trying to operate within a system that is not in the interest of our children, with a bunch of people that look at our children as problems, as something, as threats, right? And I'm saying- But I agree with that. The system is jacked up, but right now we don't have a new system yet. What do we, right now, and Chris always talks about the Monday morning question. That's tomorrow. Monday morning question, what happens, right? Like, yes, we can say like, oh, we need a a new system, 100%. I'm not gonna see it in my lifetime. I'm 50. I'm, I'm like, I'm closer to death than seeing a new system. So in the meantime, some guy, something has to happen now. You know you're, what I mean? So at least a survival I can... tactic. Yeah, I'm all about survival tactics. But at the end of the day, and some man, level of accountability. And right? some, some but, level of accountability. But there is none, man. Like, come on. It's been two decades. Because people been... are pushing back against it. And they will continue because we have reached that point where we're at an existential meaninglessness crisis in our schools. Right. Where children and Chris shared this article, right? Mm-hmm. Where eighty five percent of parents. It's, 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 uh, it's ten thirty two. Oh. <laughs> <Just there. laughs> like y'all tripping, y'all tripping. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you gonna get me in my bag, man. I'm going... <laughs> like, wait a minute, like, uh, why are you cutting wife... this man off? I know we got <laughs> no, it. No, I know no, we got no, it. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm literally like, wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> I know. I'm surprised I ain't get in trouble yet. I'm just saying. You ain't getting uh, trouble because she well, hyped I, in these comments. No. <laughs> she hyped me about she, <laughs> no. I love you, Ashley. I just want to say, and, and just like my last point with this, it's, it's no like thing where it's like if a person needs to survive, right, to do that, 
right? But most of our children are being left behind, regardless of the Orwellian phrases of no child left behind and race to the top and every student succeeds. At the end of the day, we still catch the short straw and get screwed, quite frankly, mm-hmm. basing our whole freaking like movement and, and care off of the measurements of folks who have no interest of our children actually being but, but this is the part that's beings. hard for me. I agree with you so much on everything that you just said, but it feels a little bit like saying, you know, I'm going to build a house and I don't want to use a ruler because white people invented the ruler. So I'm going to create an alternative ruler to use to build this house. And when the floor falls out the bottom and the, the windows break and everything falls apart or whatnot, I'm going to be like, yeah, but I, I used a good ruler, a better ruler than what they would have used. The reason I'm saying that is these aren't their metrics. We keep saying other people's metrics. These aren't their metrics. These are our used, metrics. I'm saying we used. Well, a lot of that is on us, too, because a lot of us wanted interventions when things when uh, when you have a, a high school that is called a dropout factory that has dropped out like black people for three and four generations. You want an intervention at some point. Right. You want to start putting the mayor on the hook and other people on the hook for change. And a lot of us ask for that. I mean, listen, my bottom line, and we should wrap. But my bottom line on all of this, this is what I will say. Um I can make you a long list of Afrocentric schools that have all this stuff in place right now. And I can tell you with absolute certainty, uh, I can give you a list of them that are graduating people that are fully social justice out and are going to be in economic exile two years after they get out of these wonderful, lovely (sighs) social justice schools run by our own people and our own places. There are a few that I will trumpet and I will tell everybody about. I've told a million people about Ile Omide in, in Oakland. And that's because if you go there, you understand that they have intergenerational learning taking place. They don't have hard like grade levels or whatnot. And these kids are, are teaching each other advanced math from an Egyptian point of view or whatnot. So there are ones where I will point to where they take the learning seriously. But my only point is I can also point you to a large number of schools in this in, in this country where they're getting all the social justice stuff right. They got all the Afrocentric flags that they're flying and they're doing all that stuff that they're supposed to be doing. And they are still graduating people that are going to be in economic exile a couple of years out. Now, when I was working in the welfare system, which is another racist system, another system that's designed to put families under under the curve. I always thought it was really weird that I was helping people feel uh, fill out applications who would always list the high school that they graduated from and can tell me how much they loved it and how much they love school and all that. And I was helping them fill out an application to Subway or to Arby's or to someplace like that. And I was tripping because I was like, well, wait a second, though. How are we going to put that you graduated from high school and all that and no one's ever putting together what and what? The welfare system is filling, filling up with people that actually are proud of the school that they went to and the teachers that they had and whatnot. And I'm helping you fill out an application to Arby's couple years out afterwards and i'm helping you do it because you can't do it error free as a matter of fact you can't do it without misspellings and whatnot that to me there's a problem with that somebody should have caught some things ahead of time long before that and they all had a good experience in a lot of cases they have a teacher that they loved oh teacher was wonderful i didn't learn anything i came out the other end um not being able to fill out an application but cool anyways that's my final thought from the bayesian on the show this is Bayesian, 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 speaking from Bayesian headquarters. What say you, the rest of you Afrocentric? Come on, throw it yeah. down, bro. Well, look, do, do, I, what do I'll do say is, you know, my Afrocentricity, I, I would say, like, you know, Nathan Masasa did not have, um, we didn't even have, like, uh, 
what do you call it, like grading as far as like second grade, third grade, fourth grade, you know, um, there were a lot of mixed classrooms based off of, you know, it was like more of a competency model, um, mixed classrooms, all of that. And so we had a very different experience. Uh, and at the end of the year, we would still take these tests and kill them. Just about everybody who left there would end up, because it was only K to six, unfortunately, pre-K to sixth grade. So from there, people were going to regular schools. Just about everybody that I know that did that ended up being skipped multiple grades. My mom wouldn't let me skip two grades. She's like, you ain't going to be a being there with them 18-year-old uh, mm. uh, girls. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. She let me skip one grade. Mm-hmm. I had some classmates who, you know, when they took that placement test to, to go to whatever school, they were skipped multiple grades. We were all graduating at, at 15 and 16 years old. And our whole system was different. We weren't teaching to the test. We were, we were doing our own thing. And there wasn't a damn test they could put in front of us that we weren't going to knock it out the park. And that's my thing. I don't care how people, t- whatever you got to do mm-hmm. to do it, how, mm-hmm. whatever, however you want to create the system, do it. And that child should still be able to show that they are not only like Dr. Alfred Tatum, he like, I don't care about kids being proficient. They should, every last one of them should be advanced in their literacy and, and mm-hmm. analytical skills. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, it ain't no test that you ain't going to pass if you're advanced mm-hmm. in your literacy. And uh, you know what I mean? Like it ain't, there is none <laughs> because you're advanced in your literacy and analytical skills. So at the end of the day, that's what I want to see. That's the type of instruction. That's the type of coherence that I would like to see in the systems. That's the type of culture that I want to see develop in any and every single school out there. That's the only way forward. Mm. I appreciate that. So, I guess my final thought is this. Um, so, you know, we're coming up on, well, for some folks, coming up on test prep season, right, in which you'll have some schools that are going to shut their schools down. Like, kids aren't going to learn anything for the next six weeks. They're going to be drilled uh, in terms of what to expect on the upcoming state test. And that I'm 100% emphatically against, right? And so for us, uh, shout out to my teachers at the Riverhead Charter School for teaching above the test. And so we don't have to like go back and do all the things that uh, other folks have to do because we teach above. And so when you're teaching above the test, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen on the test because you've already the right way. Shots fired. Shots fired on Philly. All right. So um, secondly, um, I just want to shout out my son. I want to shout out Ray Jr. And the reason why is because when he, uh, he skipped kindergarten, and the reason he was able to skip kindergarten is because when he came out of preschool that we paid college tuition for, uh, he was a reader. And so mm. uh, when we got him into kindergarten, he was far beyond the kids that were in the kindergarten class. And so, you know, we would have these conversations with, with his teacher. He was at Baltimore. Uh, um, and we would have these conversations with his teacher about, well, how are you challenging him? You know, what are you doing? Like, what, what is he doing? Because, like, he would always come on, like, yo, dad, I was done before everybody else. I was this, I was that. I was bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. And then you have these kids that are consistent, consistently bored. And so if, you, if, if you're bored, then, of course, I'm going to want you to be challenged. The teacher didn't have the word, though, to be able to scaffold to the point to where she was teaching to her highest. And so she couldn't challenge him the way that he needed to be challenged. Hmm. And so he ended up skipping a grade. 
then eventually skipping another grade. So he skipped twice as well. But the reason why he was able to do that is because we were able to use the data to show that he would be successful in these other grades. Uh, if we didn't have that data, then we wouldn't have been able to make that argument. And so that is my argument for standardized tests. Ish, I appreciate you, bro. I love your passion. And and, and I hear the majority of the things that you're, that you're talking about, and I agree with uh, none of them. <laughs> it's all good, brother. You still got time to learn. That's, that, that's like the whitest thing I ever heard. I love your passion. I love your passion. I just love your passion. That's what white people say to you. Go, go on, Ish. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said you still got time to learn. That's something I learned to say to Teach. white people when they say things Teach. like that to me. Um, but, like, even, even just that even deeper, man, like, we are not headed in the right direction if that's the only measurement of education that we have for our children and that we do a disservice to a lot of working families who are struggling out there, right? Because folks are struggling more than usual right now when their child is being told that they're not proficient enough, therefore you have to go to this school that has this inexperienced teacher, right? This cycle continues. And instead of pushing back, we have our smartest and brightest doubling down on it. And I just want to make the case that there is a role for us to really have this nuanced conversation, yet at the same time recognize that the system will use these things against us ultimately at the end of the day. So yeah, you might beat them at their own game for a little bit, but at the end of the day, majority of us will lose and we find ourselves asked out saying, well, look at our test scores, while the majority of us don't even have wealth to account for in this society. So I would even just double down, even go harder that Sharif, what he experienced, that needs to happen in more places. I work for a school system that serves about 135,000 children, right, in 218 schools. And these uh, a majority of folks are not getting the experiences that they actually need to actually transverse within this society, honestly. Um, and that's not just going to be measured from a test score. It's much deeper than that because majority of folks in this society do not read now. And when we look at all these statistics and all this, you can manipulate them to a certain interest. And if we're not defining those parameters, we're already measuring what we think is important based off of what somebody else is telling us is the vocal point. And we lost the game already at that point. I just want to say, um, bro, you don't, don't mention your employer. We want you to stay here <laughs> and we want you to stay employed. So when you say stuff like that, say I've heard of a district somewhere else, uh, far away from me, not the one where I'm at. Just, just don't mention your district. Uh, anyways, uh, this has been another episode of the eight black hands. America continues to kill black people, black men in, uh, uh in specific, but, uh, all of us actually black children, black uh, girls, black women, whatnot. They find different ways to kill us in the streets and the courts and the classrooms. If they're not killing our body, they're killing our mind. They uh, they come at us and they got us good. Uh, um, and there's only one way out of this uh, resistance. That is the only healthy thing to get out of all of this. We can agree or disagree or whatever on this show. But at the end of the day, we're family and we are brothers on this show. And we are fathers and we are people that are trying to actually raise the revolution in the next iteration of, of uh, in the next generation, I should say. And you are part of that. Thank you for being here and for filling our comments up with all your brilliance and your beauty. It was an amazing thing. It always says amazing 
amazing thing to watch the comments every week. Uh, Ashley, a new addition to the show. So uh, and the eight black hands has another two black hands right there, whatnot. And can I say what a difference of energy and uh, level this is? Uh, um, you know, having you on with us ish because when it was just the three of us, you know, uh, old heads, we were starting to lose some steam or whatnot. So you brought some much needed kind of energy and conflict. All stories need conflict. All good stories need conflict. And you brought it. You brought it uh, to us or whatnot. So we appreciate you, brother. Thank you for for uh, for being on with us. Everybody listening and watching, he's going to be with us again next week too, and we're going to pick another topic that's equally as provocative. Um, and hopefully by then we will have figured out a lot of things and have processed our trauma, but please learn what you learned tonight. First of all, number one, know for a fact that it's real out here. They are still killing us and know for another thing too, is you ain't got to say everything on Twitter. You, you don't have to, some things you can just keep to yourself. You can just be like, Hey, how about if I say, and then you just go like, nah, I'm just not going to say it whatever. Cause uh, we don't need stupid comments. And especially if it's anti-black. Especially if it's anti-black. So we appreciate all y'all. We'll see you again next week on another episode of the eight black hands.